We are in uh, the midst of a series that we are calling Ready or Not. And Ready or Not, we are just, it's just a big Bible study. We're working our way through uh, the New Testament book of 2 Peter. And uh, let me just give you warning if you've never read 2 Peter. Um, it's a pretty intense book. Um, it's a pretty heavy book. It's a book in which Peter is speaking to the church and he's inviting them into a posture of readiness. And what Peter is saying essentially is, hey, listen, time in history as you know it is not going to just continue to move the way it's been moving. There is coming a D-day. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ will break through the clouds and he'll return to our world and he will expand everything and lay it bare and he is going to judge the living and he is going to judge the dead and if a day like that is coming Peter asks the question how should we then live if the return of Jesus Christ is real and if Jesus is truly going to judge the living and the dead the question is how should we live and his invitation is live ready Because guess what? Ready or not, Jesus is returning. And what a beautiful, powerful, compelling invitation to say, hey, let's let's look at what it means to live ready. And so uh, we're going to continue that that walk through this book. And this morning we are in chapter 2, 2 Peter uh, chapter 2. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a copy, we will have the verses up here on the screen. If you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, we love giving these as gifts. Um, and we can't encourage you enough. Stop by the connection corner and grab one. It's our gift to you. Uh, we would love to know that if anything went wrong, you know, with our technology and the crazy, you know, whatever airwaves that send signals to our phones and etc cetera, etc cetera, that you at least have a physical copy um in your possession so please take us up on that um head to the connection corner um after the service but second peter uh chapter two um here's what peter um says now by the way uh when peter gets to second peter chapter two as, as we'll see here in a second he is giving uh the church a warning if you are going to be ready for the return of jesus christ there are going to be a number of threats that will attempt to derail you from walking with jesus and walking towards jesus and one of those great threats believe it or not will be false prophets false teachers And the message he's going to give us is simple. If you follow them or live like them, danger awaits. I don't know if I mentioned, but this is an intense book. Um, If you follow the false teachers or you live like them, danger awaits. Here's what he says, 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people in the Old Testament, that is. Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. So Peter opens up chapter 2 with with a guarantee in in the form of a, a warning. 
Hey, God has empowered you, by the way. He's given you everything you need to live like Jesus and to look like Jesus. But let me assure you, one of the things that's going to try and trip you up will be false teachers among you. It was true in the Old Testament, and it's going to be true now. And you better believe Peter's words reverberate through the centuries and they reach us today. And this warning is probably more real today than it was in his time. Um, In the Old Testament, uh, these false prophets would travel around um, armed with a message of peace and prosperity. And uh, they would go around and, you know, kind of, hey, 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 listen. While these other gloomy prophets like Elijah and, uh, you know, Isaiah, you know, and Jeremiah and those guys, while they go around preaching this message of judgment and this message of repentance, hey, hey, can we just tell you peace and prosperity? It's all good. It's all good. Um, And they would just kind of go around telling everybody that everything was all right and they have nothing to worry about. And Peter is saying in his day, there were going to be false teachers who would take on the similar tone, just preaching peace and prosperity and kind of scorning this negative talk about sin and this negative talk about judgment and this negative talk about repentance. By the way, do you know how cruel it is to preach peace and prosperity if judgment is around the corner? Just think about that for a second. If Jesus is saying, no, I'm coming back and, and somebody's like, don't worry about it. It's all good. Peace and prosperity. Peter says there'll be uh, false teachers among you in your church context. And he's telling them, be vigilant and watch out for them. Because when they show up, they are not going to introduce themselves. Hey! False teacher here, um, just want you to know that uh, I'm here to detour and derail you from the path of Jesus and lead you off the cliff towards destruction along with me. They're not going to announce themselves in that way. He says, no, their introduction will be subtle. They will slowly and secretly sprinkle, you know, the slightest of deviations from the truth. So slight, by the way, that you will not feel them if you are not vigilant. If you are not paying attention, you may not even feel the turbulence as they start to introduce these heresies. Uh, by the way, the, the idea of heresy is the uh, idea of a false um, theory or belief communicated as God's truth. Um, it's a, a false theory, a false doctrine, a belief that's communicated as God's tr- truth. Now, it, it's not just that um, 
I'm mistaken about something. Because I don't know about you, but there are a lot of things about the Bible that I get wrong. There are a lot of things about God I think I understand, but I don't. Um, there are a lot of things that you don't fully understand about God. There are a lot of you know, theological positions you hold that are probably wrong. That's not so much the emphasis of heresy. Heresy is when I then choose to communicate that theory or that belief, that wrong belief, as God's truth. It's not just that I think it or wrestle with it. It's that now I'm communicating it as God's truth to someone else. It's when I essentially speak on God's behalf, which God doesn't generally mind so long as you say what he he said. And Peter's saying there'll be false teachers among you and they will be really good at making a lie sound like God's truth. You barely notice if you aren't vigilant. Peter, by the way, is clear, not just in this verse, but you see it throughout this chapter and you see it even throughout the rest of the book that God will ultimately judge. Read that as God will ultimately destroy anyone who derails or detours someone else by misrepresenting his truth. You're going to see over and over again how seriously God takes that. And if you're not vigilant to recognize them, they will deceive you. And they will derail you. This is Peter's message. And they will lead you along with them towards destruction. But... Because Peter cares about the church, he kind of gives them this false teacher starter kit, um, which is really nice of him. He exposes a few of the deviations that these false teachers will try and pass off. And what he's doing is he's trying to arm the church to start to be able to recognize the false teachers among them. And he says, let me give you a sample of some of the kinds of things they will say and some of the kinds of things they will do so that when they say and do these things, you will be able to recognize the false teacher among you. But can I just say it? This starter kit is also helpful to arm the church to recognize the false teacher within us. I'm just saying, if heresy is the art of misrepresenting God's truth, we need to be vigilant with ourselves as well. I've read this over and over again, and I'm like, okay, so in the church, this must just apply to Jeff and myself and, you know, a few other people. But no, this applies to all of us. Anytime you start to represent the truth of God to someone else, be careful that the false teacher isn't you. I'm just saying, the minute I start as a parent to teach my kids what God has said, I better be representing his truth. Otherwise, I run the risk of derailing my kids by telling them that that certain parts will fall off of you if you look at her that way, thus saith the Lord. And the Lord's like, I never said that. (laughs) Don't put that on me. 
right? But I think sometimes as a parent, I'm telling you in the name of efficiency, in the name of pragmatism, I may want to use God to scare my kids into obedience. So I may tell them some things like cleanliness is next to godliness and God hates liars and, 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 and C grades. So, so get back in there and study. The minute you start to communicate online how God feels about that group of people. Be very careful that the false teacher isn't you. The minute you start to tell your friends at school like, yeah, I don't think he really cares what you do with your body though. No. Be very careful that the false teacher is in you. The moment you start to speak across the political aisle to your opponents, telling them what God believes about that political position, you better know what you're saying. Otherwise, I I don't know if you knew this, but there are other options such as... And also, as we're trying to teach our kids, I don't know. Even acceptable, maybe phrases such as, I think. But please hear me, the minute you start to represent what God says, the minute you start to represent God, you become a teacher. Be very careful that the false teacher isn't you so peter gives us this uh this this starter kit just some of uh, of the ways that we can recognize the false teachers among us and the false teacher within us as well so, uh the second part of verse 1 he says they will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the sovereign lord who bought them um this is what I will call the sovereignty lie. Uh, the sovereignty lie. It's not super clear necessarily what the sovereignty heresy was. This, this denying um, of the sovereign Lord in, in Peter's day. He just tells us uh, that the false teachers will be recognized because they will start to subtly downplay the sovereignty of God. Um, sovereign Lord, by the way, the sovereignty of God. It, it, it's a description of God as king with the right and prerogative to do as he pleases, when he pleases, without anyone's permission. The sovereignty of God is God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And he does. That's the doctrine or the teaching of the sovereignty of God. And Peter would say, if you hear someone downplaying God's right to do as he pleases, when he pleases, watch out. That should be a warning to you. Now, I don't think these teachers went around saying, God's not sovereign, this just in. Um, I don't. I wonder if they downplayed the sovereignty of God by playing up the centrality of man. Because if they said God's not sovereign, that wouldn't be subtle. 
There's nothing subtle about that. But I wonder if it wasn't in the playing up of the centrality of man. And I'm just suggesting that any teaching in the church that puts you and your wishes at the center of the story downplays the sovereignty of God. You are not at the center of the story. God is king. He's the center of the story. Ah, anything that, that communicates that God is he's obligated to do what is most pleasing to you. Downplays his sovereignty. Anything that communicates that my rights supersede his rights to do as he pleases, when he pleases, downplays the sovereignty of God. Anything that communicates God makes his decisions um, in some way or another based on what's pleasing to me. Downplays his sovereignty. He does what's most pleasing to him. But there is, and these, these are the ways I guess it concerns me in our cultural context. If I say the right words or I give the right things, then God is somehow now obligated to do what I want. Like somehow I bought an obligation from God. And you know sometimes what we'll do? We'll act like faith buys obligation like now God is obligated to me because I wanted something enough and I believed it enough by faith now God you are obligated God is God does what he wants that's what the sovereignty of God means and I can run the risk at times of making my faith bigger than his sovereignty. No, God is sovereign. And please hear me, church. Sometimes he will look your faith in the eye and say, nope. Ask Paul. God, I'm, I'm begging you. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, would you please heal this thing? Whatever the thorn in the flesh was, would you remove it? I'd be so much more effective for you. And I'll do so much greater things for you. And God said, no. I, I'm going to do something else. And I'm telling you, God will sometimes crush our dreams Sometimes God would decide to let pain linger, ask Job. And we will be tempted, we will be tempted to start to assure each other. And I think at times it comes in the spirit of wanting to be an encouragement to each other. And so we'll tell each other like, mm, no, God, he, he didn't want that or, or he had nothing to do with that or, or, or he's not going to let that last very long. Right? Why not? Well, because it matters too much how you're, and we move people and their stories into the center. And we do this well-meaning, especially when people are struggling and we want to just assure them this is not going to last long. Joy will come in the morning. And you're like, it's been 17 mornings though. 
Whenever I start to talk like God is obligated to change something or to do something because I desire it or I even believe it enough, I run the risk of downplaying the sovereignty of God. This name it, claim it thing can downplay the sovereignty of the living God. I speak that thing that's not as though it were. And now it has to come into being because, well, that may not be faith as much as it may be entitlement. And I think we run the risk of of derailing from the path when we start to talk like this. And what starts to happen is people start to quit on God. Why? I'm just disappointed. Why? He was supposed to show up in my life in this way. In fact, people told me he would and he hasn't. The pain still lingers. My sickness is still there. And Sherry Murphy will say, Randy still passed on. What are you saying to me? If God was supposed to fix it, he didn't show up. And now all of a sudden, I'm done with him. And people are derailed from God because we told them they're a little more central than they really are. He does what he pleases when he pleases. Let me tell you our hope. Our hope is not in a God who's obligated to us. Our hope is that he is a good God. That's my hope. My hope is not that somehow if I believe and my faith will somehow obligate him to do something for me. No. God doesn't act on my behalf because somehow he's obligated God is not obligated. It doesn't owe me anything. But I love the fact that I can stand in faith knowing that God is obligated to his promises. And if he made a promise, he will keep that promise. Not because of me, but because God is faithful to his words. It is not this sense of entitlement. It's not this sense of God is obligated to me. It's this sense of you are sovereign. So God, I am asking you. Remember Jesus in the garden? I command the angels to come down and cater to me. And I rebuke the cross. No. But not what I want. What you want. Your sovereignty. Your centrality. And you know as well as I do that what came next for Jesus was not, was not easy. And Peter is saying you will recognize false prophets because as cute as it might sound, they'll start to convince us that no, God owes us or he's obligated to us or we are somehow at the center of the story. And it will downplay the sovereignty of the living God. Are you okay with his sovereignty Or do you need it downplayed? And do you recognize when messages are starting to communicate in you or around you that really you're the center in the story? And then he he, he identifies what I I think of as the greed trap. Um, This is uh, 2 Peter This is verse 2 and 3. He says, many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Um, These teachers 
will be less interested in pointing people to Jesus and they'll be more interested in growing themselves a greater and greater following. Um, They'll be greedy. They will want more and more and more for themselves. More and more and more and more for themselves. And they will start to, to treat the church like it exists to enhance their spotlight and it exists to advance their success. Because when the numbers on Instagram, you know, start to, 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 to grow and, and the video views increase and, and the attendance rises, they experience this elation and they can't get enough. They want more and more influence. They want more and more power. They want more and more financial gain. They want more and more followers. And they start to fall into this greed trap. And so they practice the art of peddling God and exploiting people. And they start to make up stories. And it's, it's really, it's, it's so interesting how eerily applicable this is to us. They start to make up stories, fabricating stories, talking about, and God told me, matter of fact, right as I was walking onto the platform, God said to me, he told me, he said, Kondo. I said, yes, Lord. He said, what's up? I said, hey, you know, and then we started to chat. He was funny. And then he told me this story and he told me to tell you this. And what it starts to do is it communicates to the rest of y'all like, oh, I don't roll with God on that level. Like you all talk to each other like this. Yeah, I he was telling me the other day that I needed to turn left and, and get some milk at the store. And you're like, what? That's how you converse with God, thus saith the Lord to you. Well, there must be a unique anointing on you that's not on me and if you have that kind of a direct line to God, then I better follow you. I better listen to you. If God is talking to you like that in ways that he doesn't talk to the rest of us, normal people, then I better follow you. And there is power in fabricating these stories that says God said when God didn't say Anything, Or maybe you, you felt something or you sensed something, indigestion or discomfort or whatever it is, but it's now being passed off as representing God. Do you know how powerful I would be if I had something God told me in the back right before I came out, when I came out here? You might just do some things I suggest. He said, the church should clean my car, you know, he said. Hey, I don't understand it. I'm just a messenger, (laughs) he said. Well, they start fabricating stories and they start to build a following, understandably. And uh, Peter would say, they'll sound compelling and you will know them. Because you start to notice that the things God is telling them doesn't seem to line up with what he's told the rest of us. You notice that the tone of the things God seems to be saying to them and the tone God takes and, and he always seems to have a British accent when he speaks to them and you're just going to start to notice like, but wait a minute, what he said, the tone in which he said it doesn't seem to doesn't seem to be the tone of, of, of his, his word. 
And you start to recognize it too because you notice that they are moving themselves to the center of all of their stories. They're the heroes in every story. Somehow it becomes about them. And do you know how powerful a leader can become if you believe God is constantly speaking to them and he's working in their lives in unique ways like he hasn't done anything in my life like that for 15 years and you seem to get six a week? But you will notice because their stories will become more and more about them. And as you listen closely to what the Lord has said, you say, but he said here something a little bit different. But guess what? It works. Peter says many will follow them. In fact, the majority will lean in their direction. Because, man, it's a super fun message of a God who spoke to them and, and, and he told them that you are always going to be ahead and you will never be behind. And don't worry about that nonsense about judgment. I don't want you to leave the church feeling uncomfortable. And so I, he told me to tell you he's going to bless you. All you have to do is clean my car and you have to give this a little bit and do this this way, etc., etc., etc. But... Ultimately, it's a message that communicates like, man, it's all good. Thus saith the Lord, and God speaks to me. And can you imagine how quickly a following would move in that direction? And the churches will be growing numerically. And the only logical explanation is, well, God must be blessing. Because look, no, he says many will follow. The fact that many follow is no indication of where they're all going. My plea, there's, there's this incredible verse in Acts chapter 17. Um, here's what it says. Verse 11, look up here on the screen. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character, props to them, than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness. They were hungry for the word. They wanted to learn what God had to say. And then they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. What? I am begging you, be Bereans. Be Bereans. I can't imagine how this would fly in some of our churches today. I'm sorry. I just said the Lord told me. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing, Paul. No, I, 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 I'm Paul. Do you know how much of the New Testament I'm going to write? I'm Paul, man. I fell off a horse, went blind. The Lord speaks to me. And they're like, that's so great. Thank you. Don't mind if every day we go back to his word just to make sure that what you're saying measures up with his standard and his word. And they went back to the scriptures. And can I just pause and say, come on, the era of spoon-fed church is gone. That's so last year. This is an invitation for the folks in the church to know the word of God so they can evaluate what they're hearing. This era of like just teach us and spoon feed us is a recipe for disaster. Because how do you know if we're telling you the truth or we're not telling you the truth? 
Oh, you've got to know this book. You've got to love this book. This is what the Bereans did. And can I just say, by the way, as one of the leaders in this church who has the privilege of standing on this platform, never believe something is true simply because I said it. Ever. Believe it because I showed it to you. Believe it because you saw it in his word. Never believe some celebrity preacher because they said something that sounded compelling. It wouldn't be deceptive if it wasn't compelling. Love this book, church. Fall in love with this book. And if I'm done saying something or you sense like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Somebody did this to me last week. Is sitting in this room. Sent me, a, you know, a few weeks ago, sent me a message saying, you said something and you skipped what seems to be a key verse. I was like, what? How dare you? I thought that was awesome. I'm like, wait, so you were looking at the scriptures and you're saying, but what you said, uh, 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 I'm going with this. And so we were able to process and have a conversation about that. But I was so thrilled <laughs> that there was that level of evaluation. Now, I'm going to, Lord, give me grace here. Let me say this, though. Please don't be snooty. I don't know how else to say that. Come on. I love the Bereans. Some of you just heard like your life verse. All of a sudden, you're going to start sending me emails every week. Block you. The Lord told me backstage that I can block three people a year. I'll spend all three of them on you. The Bereans, they receive the word of God with eagerness. Don't come in here like a skeptic, like assuming things are wrong. No, come in here hungry. Come in here thirsty to learn what does God's word have to say? What does the spirit of the living God have to say to me today? Come with a posture that's leaning in. But at the end of the day, hold it up against the ultimate truth. The ultimate measure. The word of God. I don't know who you follow. I don't know who your favorite teachers are. Um, You know. All I know is you leave church at times and then you post like, you know, and you've heard me say this. It's like 12.03, like, man, just listen to an awesome clip from Pastor Such and Such on Instagram. I'm like, you just left church. (laughs) What? Like, who are you listening to? Ouch, man. But anyway, follow whoever you want. It's all right. I'm I'm not bothered by that at all. But what I am saying... Is men as compelling as their stories, uh, their sound bites might be, do they hold up against the word of God? Otherwise, man, that may come back to, to bite you. Um, let me also ask you, pray for us. Um, pray for those of us who um, have the privilege of leading the church. Because I, I look at this warning, and if I'm honest... The, the greed trap, it's, it's always a temptation for those of us in the church. It's always a temptation for me. The greed for more. 
Because, man, after you hear enough stories about that church that's just thriving, and, and, and they're doing this, and, and they're doing that, and after about the fifth, time a week somebody asks you so how big is your church you're like man I wish I could say a, a bigger number because that would make me feel a little bit and I'm telling you it is tempting to start to want more it's tempting to start to want bigger it's tempting to start to want that to be a little bit more impressive and if we're not careful it's tempting to start to say man we know if we can just adjust this thing do you know how much we could boom and look more impressive and by the way do you know how much more we could take in financially in the budget if we would just say the lord said it's always a temptation and i would beg you love this book but also pray for us let's let, if, if it, we come to mind pray for our protection because no one sets out to derail. I don't think people set out for greed, but before long you're like, but how come that pastor is better than us? We want to be, you know, whatever. And it becomes a temptation. And we want to be protected from, from that. But man, be, be Bereans. Pay attention to the ways in which people who are saying the Lord told me, the Lord told me, okay, does what the Lord told you match up with what the Lord has told all of us? Because we don't want to end up with a greedy or going. Second part of verse 3, their condemnation has long been hanging over them. And their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. It's jolting, by the way. That Peter is likening false teachers who misrepresent the, the truth of God and those who follow him. He's likening them to some of the darkest eras in human history. This is so serious to God that he likens it like to the days before the flood and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's saying, listen, I will deal with this as severely as I dealt with those days. Right? And that's what Peter is saying. If God was willing to put fallen angels in these dark holding cells to await their final judgment. And I believe he's speaking about Genesis chapter 6. Not the fall of Satan and his angels, but this weird story where the angels came down and they fell in love with women. And, and they cohabitated and created this race called the Nephilim of giants. And God was infuriated by that. And apparently locked them up in a dungeon awaiting judgment. They're inactive right now waiting for their final judgment. That's how he dealt with that. And he likens this to false teaching and, and, and to, to veering from the path of, of truth and misleading others. And, and if God, man, flushed the world with a flood to start over because of this disregard for his truth and this detour from what he said and if God burned Sodom and Gomorrah to a pile of ashes on account of the fact that they just disregarded what he said and all of them got together and started detouring following each other away from him if that's how he dealt with them then you better believe he would decisively deal with anyone 
who continues to detour people or who follows people who are detouring from Jesus. It's not a small deal how you represent God. And it's not a small deal who you follow as they represent God. And the thing about Lot and the thing about Noah is if you study their eras, in fact, Jesus speaks to this. It was a culture in which those people were saying, what? What's the big deal? And it says they just went about their business, doing their thing and started to believe like God kind of mind. I mean, we started small and then we got worse, but he didn't do anything about it. So maybe he doesn't really mind. Maybe he doesn't really mind. And Jesus says later, just as it was in the days of Noah, people will be surprised when my judgment shows up. They shouldn't be, but they will be because they've continued to deviate from the path. And he says judgment is not sleeping. It's literally hovering over their heads. But I love what Peter says even in the midst of all of this because whenever judgment is hovering mercy is at hand God will destroy the false teacher and the false follower but first God will offer rescue he always does verse 7 and if he rescued Lot a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of lawless of the lawless For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. God will judge, but first he will save. First he will open doors and invite us to return to his truth. First, he will open doors and invite us to return to this path of righteousness. And for Lot, it's so interesting that it refers to this inner restlessness, this inner distress that he experienced in the midst of a culture that was detouring. That is so beautiful. That's what the Spirit of God used in Lot. He just had this remaining tenderness to sin. He had this remaining conviction that the direction people are moving is not okay. He had a restlessness within him. And that's what the Lord used to preserve him. That's what the Lord used to bring him to himself. I think that's powerful. I think that's sometimes the Spirit's preserving work in us. That as we are immersed in a culture, that things are happening that just bother us. Or someone said something that just seems, it doesn't seem okay. And the tension comes because everyone else seems to be okay with it. In fact, the majority of people seem to be okay with it. And the temptation is that the longer I'm immersed in a culture that seems okay to veer from the word of God, the more I start to think something is wrong with me and the more prone I am to let that inner distress die. Like I think maybe I'm just making a big deal about marriage. I think maybe I'm just making a big deal uh, about that teaching that veers from the word of God. 
If we're immersed long enough, what tends to happen is what used to bother us on TV or in the media, or what used to bother us about the rhetoric of our political heroes, all of a sudden doesn't bother us. And we're like, well, it's okay. You know what? It's actually okay. And we start to lose that tenderness, that sensitivity, which is one of God's ways of rescuing us. It's one of God's ways of saying, hold the line. It's one of God's ways of saying, do not... Our fancy cars now tell us you are veering into a lane and that beeping sound in your soul is his way of keeping us on track. And I would plead with you, by the way, if you are in this room and sin still bothers you and the the, the culture and the way the culture is veering from the word of God still causes you distress praise the living God never allow that to die never allow the majority to tell you the fact that you're a minority in the way you experience this distress Lot was by himself but that's what God was using to invite him don't don't give in hold the line I'm coming soon hold the line I'm coming soon and I just want to speak to those of you who still feel a sense of restlessness when you see other kids at school and they're doing things that are wrong and it bothers you and you feel weird because people say like oh my goodness you're one of those weird hypersensitive Christians and sometimes it's other kids from the church Don't let that die. That may be the spirit of God saying I am saving for myself a remnant who will not veer And this is one of the ways I'm doing it. Do not give up. Do not quit. Do not give in. Do not compromise. Hold the line. But I also want to speak to some of us who would say like, man, I used to be bothered by stuff. Now I just do stuff. I say stuff. I see stuff. It doesn't even bother me anymore. Thankfully, the fact that you're still alive means there is an opportunity for you to plead with the living God even as you sit in your seat right now. Would you return that tenderness to my soul? Would you return that sensitivity to my spirit? Would you return that sense of distress in the midst of? I'm telling you, like, I'm like, wait, wait, we are okay with what that person is saying? The church is just like, yeah. This is a moment for us to pray, please return me to a place where I'm experiencing conviction again and sensitivity again. Because there are only two options, rescue or judgment. And the tenderness we experience is one of the ways the Lord preserves us and the Lord keeps us on track. And the Lord even protects us if we don't just keep breaking through those barriers. And then Peter gets back to making a list of some of the other characteristics of the false teachers verse 10 says this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh is speaking about the gluttony god they don't just practice greed they practice gluttony they they refuse to say no to themselves doesn't matter if it's right it doesn't matter if it's wrong what matters most is if it feels good And I'm just saying to us, if we make our decisions based on what feels good and what feels good weighs more than what's right or wrong, then there is a false prophet, there's a false teacher in us detouring from the path of truth. And the second part of verse 10, he says, and you'll be able to recognize them because they'll despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings, yet even angels 
although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. I don't know if I mentioned, but this is an intense book. Um, Peter speaks about this angel fight, um, this angel drama, which is really interesting to me. You will recognize false teachers through some of their angel drama. That's really interesting. And the more I understood this, the more I'm like, whoa, whoa. Uh, The idea of despising authority, interestingly enough, is the idea of trivializing or downplaying. This false teacher among us and in us, it just has the propensity to downplay. So downplays the sovereignty of God, but not just the sovereignty of God, but also starts to downplay the authority of heavenly beings and just straight up disrespect them and treat them like, I'm more powerful than you. Uh, again, we don't know the exact nature of this angel drama or what these teachers uh, were, were, were teaching or, or practicing, but we get the sense that um, they were confronting fallen angels. They were, 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 were confronting demonic beings with a super disrespectful and presumptuous tone. And Peter says, watch out for them. Here's the rationale. Peter says, uh, there are angels who still serve at God's side. These angels that serve at God's side are more powerful than these fallen angels. And sometimes in the heavenly realm, uh, uh, an angel, spiritual war will break out. And when these angels who serve God go and confront the angels who don't serve God, they never disrespect them. They never talk down. They never blaspheme them. In fact, there's a, a scene in the Bible in which one angel says to another, to a demonic angel says, the Lord rebuke you. They don't do that. And yet here come these false teachers who do not have anywhere close to the power these demonic angels have. And they just Pick fights disrespecting these demonic beings. Talking about get over here and I get under my foot. I stomp on your face. You have no place here. Get out of here. In the Pack your bags and you better leave this place right now. Woo! And the whole place goes crazy. Oh, he just told that demon what to do. And Peter would say, not even the angels talk to the demons like that. Matter of fact, Jesus wasn't disrespectful to the demonic forces. And yet here come, God speaks to me. In fact, watch how powerful I am. Just tell those demons and those devils what to do and when to do it because somehow I have this authority and I pull rank on the demonic beings. And Peter would say, "Mm, 
you have no clue what you are talking about. You have no clue what you are dealing with. And I think for us sometimes in the spirit of spiritual warfare, we can become super reckless and super presumptuous and super disrespectful. And by the way, can I just tell you all it would take is one time. God would be like, lift the veil and allow them to see one of these demonic forces. And let's hear what their tone would do. You have no idea what you're dealing with. And Peter says like these instinctive animals, they're just going by instinct and impulse and not by truth. And he says these animals are almost, they are born to be trapped. Which is, by the way, a warning. You continue to meddle with and you disrespect these demonic beings and they will take you out. There's a story in Acts, in the book of Acts, where seven sons of Sceva, the high priest, they had seen the, the apostles casting out demons and they're like, ooh, greed. We want some of that. And so they go and try and mimic what they believe is spiritual warfare. And they go into the house where they know a demon is and they start to talk, you know, uh, hey, so, hey, so, uh, mm, mm-hmm. in the name, what is the words? Do you have the script? Yeah. Uh, in name of uh, Jesus who Paul preaches, get out. And the demon answered them, the Bible says. And the demon said like, okay. I know who Paul is. I know who Jesus is. Who are you? And the demon proceeded to beat up all seven of them. They left the house naked and bleeding, running down the road. That's a true story. Read the Bible. And yet here we come thinking like, demon, devil, come on, I'll pick a fight with you and I have some. And Peter would say, watch your mouth. Don't disrespect these celestial beings. And I'm telling you, if you see a culture in which there's almost this like flaunting of some authority over these demonic beings, I have no authority over any demonic beings. But I roll with the one who does. And you know, it also amazes me. Like you get into these cultures and these contexts where it's like, I've been seriously in prayer meetings where people have spent more time praying to the demons than to Jesus. Just picking fights and talking to them and telling them what to do. I have a suggestion. How about, hey, Jesus, I think there's one over here. Help. And there are moments when I think we will sense the spirit telling us, no, it is time to confront and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, we cast you out. But it's not playful, it's not presumptuous, it's not based on some, the feeling that I have some authority and I can just walk around bossing demons around. And if you start to see that tone in the churches, or you start to see that tone in culture, I'm, I'm telling you, there is cause to be concerned. That's what these guys were doing. And I think they ran the risk, which is the reason I'll tell my kids and my parents told us like, hey, don't mess with Ouija boards. Don't mess with that. Just leave it alone. Why not? Because you continue to poke and provoke like an animal, you will fall into a trap. And if one of these things gets a hold of you, I'm sorry. 
right? Don't mess with what you don't understand. There is so much complexity in the spiritual realm. But we try and oversimplify at times. And there is danger in that. But in any case, what these guys were doing was walking around with a very presumptuous tone. And then we'll read the rest of this text. And and what you're going to see in the rest of this passage is what happens when the holy restlessness of the Spirit of God, like, man, I was bothered by that. Ooh, I, I, I saw that veered from the Word of God. What happens when we just start to break through those guardrails and when we start to disregard what the spirit is doing in us it starts to spiral and what you're going to notice in the rest of this passage is it started with these false teachers as subtle and it just moved to just being out there and you watch the direction of our culture by the way things that used to be said and spoken and done in secret now they're just out there and everyone's like "Eh." that is a sign of the times Verse 13, uh, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight now. Like, wait, I thought you guys used to be subtle. What happened? They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They're experts in greed and a cursed brood. Um, And again, it's just a sad picture of like uh, praying on the weak. And you're going to see it again here, praying on new believers. It's like they don't know any better. And and the greed starts to say, man, I wonder if I could get a quick hookup with this person. And I wonder if I can't get maybe some money out of them. I wonder if they don't know any better. I wonder if I can convince them like, hey, God doesn't really mind that. So, hey, let's let's party a little bit. And, And it just starts to escalate more and more as they now prey on the folks in the church verse 15 they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam son of Bezir Uh, Balaam was a prophet God told him I want you to, to represent me and somebody said hey we'll pay you off if you misrepresent God to the people and he was tempted to go and say a word that God did not say to the people but watch God He loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech. I don't know if I mentioned earlier, but God will judge, but first he will save. He was willing to send a donkey to say to this guy, get back on course, get back on course. I don't know what he's sending your way, but if you're alive, he is good. And he's most likely sending your way. Just this reminder, get back on course. Don't ignore that thing that's happening inside of you. Don't ignore what the word of God is saying. Get back on course. And he spoke with a human voice, this donkey, and restrained uh, the prophet's madness. Um, So anyway, Shrek is in the Bible, in case anyone (laughs) wanted to know. Uh, Verse 17, these people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. You don't have to know Greek to know that's not good. Um, Verse 18, for they mouth empty boastful words by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh. Again, putting you at the center. Man, do you know what you could have? They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom. 
grace. You, you can do whatever you want. God doesn't care. There's so much license. I don't know why people keep preaching about this sin. Just live your life. While they themselves are slaves of depravity, they cannot say no to themselves. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Verse 20, if they have escaped, this messes with my theology, I'm not going to lie. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they've been saved, rescued by Jesus, forgiven by him, set free by him, and then again are entangled in it. And are overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness in the first place. Than to have known it. And then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. This is kind of gross. But a dog returns to its vomit. And a soul that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. This messes with my theology, I'm not going to lie, but here's Peter saying, if you continue to disregard and and, and you continue to to, to ignore the distress you are sensing in your spirit and and you continue to move in these directions and move against what the word of God says, you end up getting caught and trapped in the same sin that you were rescued from. And he says, you are worse off than you were before. It would have been better if you hadn't been rescued in the first place. Now, my conviction says once you're saved, you're always saved. But my job is not to protect my theological position. My job is to understand the word of God. And I don't know what this means. But it's saying if we continue to disregard, we are going to get to a point of no return. I don't know what that means. But here's what I do know. I don't want to find out. And I don't want any of you to find out. And so the invitation is, is, is be ready. If the spirit is still convicting you about things, don't disregard that. Get back on course. Love this book. Otherwise, you will not know when you are veering off the path. Know this book and hold us to this book. Otherwise, you never know when you're veering off the path. And surround yourself with people. And it's going to be a minority. Please understand the fact that it's just you or just a few of us does not mean that what we're believing is incorrect or what we're holding to is incorrect. Surround yourself with that remnant who is holding fast and holding the line and sticking to what the Lord God says. Jesus is coming and he's going to deal with those of us who are following false teachers and those of us who are misrepresenting him and bringing his name into disrepute. Why? Because we are talking about Jesus while we are preaching freedom, while we are living in in bondage. We are talking about Jesus while we are disregarding his word and we are giving a bad name to him. But yet there is an invitation for hope. There is an invitation for salvation and I don't know where you are on the spectrum whether you are tender to the things of God and the heart and the word of God and what he's doing in you or whether you're saying I've lost all feeling let me tell you the fact that you are living and breathing in this room 
is God's announcement to you. It's not too late. The door is open. Noah hasn't shut the door yet. Jesus hasn't broken through the clouds yet. The question is, are you willing to return and say, I have wandered and would you bring me back? I've lost feeling and would you return feeling to my soul? And Father, that's my prayer. That for those of us who've wandered, that we would own that. And be brought back. And those of us who are losing sensitivity and tenderness. That will acknowledge that. And Lord for those of us who have just gotten away from reading your word. That we would understand this is the book that keeps us on the path of righteousness. So may they be an awakening and a renewed thirst in your church for your word. We beg you for this. And Lord, I do pray that if there is any working of the supernatural holding anyone in bondage in this room, that you, by the power of your son's name, would rebuke and release and set your people free, that you would do the rebuking of the demonic work, set us free to live fully for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, God.